Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Podcast Horseman. Back in the 20s, we reviewed a very famous team. Welcome indeed to Podcast Horseman, the Bojack Horseman podcast, a spoiler-free episode-by-episode audio re-podcast of the critically acclaimed Netflix series Bojack Horseman. I'm a socially distanced Michael Hamflet. And I'm a socially distanced Adam Nicholas. And Michael, yes, as always, you can call us for one last time this season, the front of the plane, because we are all business to begin with. If you like this podcast, or indeed you like either of its hosts, well, you are in luck, my friends, because you can follow this podcast on Twitter or Instagram at podcast horseman please do give us a follow if you've got nothing else to do or if you have followed already thank you very much or if you'd like to follow either of your hosts you can do just that you can follow me at it's adam nicholas or you can follow michael hamflit at michael hamflit um, you can listen to this podcast on everywhere you get podcasts from so on apple podcasts we would love you to subscribe on spotify we would love you to follow on stitcher on deezer on napster on anywhere that you know from your local hmv and from Amazon, of course, when you're in the middle of buying Mother's Day gifts, why not treat yourself to a podcast download at the same time? Basically, anywhere you can get your podcast, you can get Podcast Horseman. You can also find it on that at Podcast Horseman Twitter feed once a week, every Friday. It'll be there to listen to through streaming. You can subscribe through Acast as well. And on any of those vehicles where you can leave feedback, we would love you to leave us some uh, five stars and a few little words. They can be nasty. They can be nice. doesn't really matter as long as it gets us up the rankings. It gets more people talking to ourselves about a talking horse. Just drop them five stars on there. It's what every podcast begs you to do, and we are no different in that regard. We would love that. Um, there will be no star on Hollywood Talk of Fame this week. It's our recap special, obviously. But we will be back to it next season. Um, a little bit more on that later on in the episode. Yes, very good. New way for the uh, stars to be coming in your way very soon. More on that later on, though, as Michael says. And now it's time. Psych! No, it's not, because you thought <laughs> I was going to say it's time for your Netflix synopsis. But, of course... We are the synopsis. No, we're not. Mm. What are we? The summary this week we are instead, I guess, because we don't need a Netflix synopsis because we are going to be doing a recap of all of season four. Now, obviously, we've done the episode by episode, but on these podcasts, we tend to just have a bit of a looser chat about the season as a whole, what has happened to everybody in this season, where they started, where they're going to end up, or where they certainly ended up at the end of the season. And on top of that, we'll go back and review all of the best little bits from our horsing around segments throughout the course of the season. But, Mr. Hamford, I believe 
it, the flow is yours essentially because you're the one who talks about all the characters and all the difficult stuff. I'm just yet to point it. <laughs> well, I mean, we always start with Bojack, which is weird because in season four we didn't. He, of course, was nowhere to be found. The residents of Hollywood were kind of living without Bojack in their lives and living fine for the most part. No coincidence there. But it's odd. As you say, with a recap, we like to try and revisit where they were at the start of the season and where they were at the end. And there's probably the biggest disparity in terms of where characters were uh, bookending episodes in season four for Bojack himself. He was, of course, gone. He was on the road. He was away from the life that he was clearly blaming for the death of Sarah Lynn more than he was blaming himself. He was rather than looking inward, he was looking outward to the whole wide world as far away as he could get. We learn a lot more about his past, which, of course, would inform the harrowing events of this season's episode 11. But it's interesting because the journey that he went on ultimately left him the happiest we've ever seen him ever in Bojack Horseman, the TV show. I would say at the end of season four, he'd never been more at peace. And he was at peace in Hollywood, the place he'd felt the need to escape at the end of season three. So it was an awful lot of learning, an awful lot of growing, and an awful lot of trying. Bojack has never tried so hard. And it felt as if, reflecting on those early episodes from season four, um, he had to go away to learn that. He had to reconnect with his past, of course, the house, and that tremendous episode where we got all those heartbreaking flashbacks interspliced with Bojack bonding with a local resident, trying to fix the house up together and rebuild bits of his past. It's like we needed all of that to be able to understand why, when Hollyhock appeared in Bojack's life, he would now be the horseman to try and fix this. He's tried literally to fix bits of his past. So now he's more emotionally ready to try and fix bits with his family, with Hollyhock. It's been... Yeah, it's been that specific kind of journey, that attempt to rebuild, to repair and to fix things that previously we might not have, I don't know, we might not have seen that from the more reckless Bojack of the prior seasons, I don't think. Yeah, I think that's a very fair point, to be honest. I mean, we'll get Bojack in a state of like contentment, which is something mm. we've not really seen so much from him. We've seen bursts of happiness here and there, but this is definitely the most content he's been in. Compared to where he was at the very beginning of the season, I mean, it's like a drastic difference. We weren't even yeah. sure if he was going to be in the goddamn show at one point. Um, <laughs> and then, thankfully, he comes back to bless us on the timeline, as they would say. But <laughs> um, I think it's it's interesting here because he ends up in a better place having gone back to his roots, which we've been kind of led to believe for the majority of this, were poison, right? Like, that mm. is... You, you'd wonder how he'd find himself there but of course we do we get that amazing episode the old sugarman place where he learns so much about himself and ultimately that, that he can't just go backwards he can't run away and go backwards he has to go forwards it's the only direction for him but brilliantly of course a lot of his changes this season don't really come just because of him they become because of the force of nature that comes into his life that is hollyhock who yeah. he wasn't expecting and who forces him to sort of as we've seen him do before maybe learn something new, but then she forces him to stick with it yeah, and follow it through, almost. How many times have we seen someone in this show, particularly Bojack, who's almost made a change, but then doesn't. They just stay in that same old rut. Um, and it's super telling to see how much of an impact she's had on him. And it's kind of nice, in a way, like where we end up with him by the end of, by the end of this season, because it's hope, again, isn't it? As is always mm. the way with this show. Yeah, it, like it's one thing, and you see this phrase quite a lot now, but it's one thing to be better 
for a day or for a week before you fall back into old habits, whatever your old habits or vices may be. But it's quite another to be better on a more permanent basis. And every episode that focuses on Bojack and Hollyhock's like quite close personal relationship, we find that over the course of that 23, 24 minutes, he's being better than he was before. So there'll be episodes where they're traveling in the car together and it's like the chalk and cheese and they can't get along but he's being honest with her because he believes that's the best thing for her he like she needs to know that this is this worst side of him and better that she see that and understand who he is than him lie to her um conversely in like an era i don't think i'm understating this an era defining episode of television for the era that we live in in the form of stupid piece of shit uh we get bojack at his well, at his most, at his rawest internally, because we get the real him. We get the life of what it is to be Bojack, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And the one time he lies to her, it's an attempt to build this wall of protection for her. It's this attempt to make her feel like the rest of her life is not going to be as difficult as the bad days are in her current one. That's a big lie for him to tell her. And we're with him when he does it. This is not the kind of lie where he's tried to obscure something awful that he's done. These are not the lies that he might have once told to Penny or to Diane or to Princess Carolyn. This is a, it's, I wouldn't even say it's a white lie because it's a pretty significant one, but he's doing it with the purest of hearts. Having watched every minute of stupid piece of shit through Bojack's psyche, the last thing we want Hollyhock to suffer is that herself forever. So it's a nice thing that he gives her. He gives it again, to go back to your sort of central theme, as it often is, he gives her hope because he gives her the belief that one day she won't have the voice that we know that he now battles with every single day. I always like to think as well that hopefully in his head, maybe not in his exact head, but the, what he's intending there is that there's a hope that one day when it does get to a point that she'll be more equipped, she'll have the tools mm to better sort of work against any mental health issues she might end up having in the future. In terms of her talking about that voice that goes away, yes, he's, you know, sort of said, oh, yeah, it goes away for now. But fingers crossed, it's like a it's sort of placating now until she can be in an age where maybe she's learned more about life, she's learned more about the world and is more, has the coping mechanism, shall we say, to better deal with them, as most of us tend to do on a daily basis, yeah. perhaps. Um, but, yeah, like... It's been such a refreshing thing because I think the real notable point here is that go back to that time when he spoke to the baboon at the end of season two, season three, season, mm-hmm. season two. one, season two. And it was like, you, you've got to do it every day though. You know, it's it's hard, but you've got to do it every day and it'll get a little bit easier, but yeah. you've got to do it every day. And he kind of agrees with that. And obviously he has a huge catastrophic wobble, I think we can call it, in season three. Um, but the trying element here that I like the most was the fact that he's trying despite the fact that he's not enjoying it at times, which mm. is unheard of for him. Like, yes, all right, stupid piece of shit. He does have a bit of a, a wobble in terms of he keeps disappearing because he's just trying to yeah. get his head around it all. And he falls into his old ways. But even in those moments when he's not happy and he's in the car and he's like having to drive around everywhere with Hollyhock, it's in his head, in his head, sorry, it's stupid. It's daft. It's a time consuming thing. And he's a very important person, but in the end it doesn't matter because he knows that it's, he wants to do it for her. And that's, hmm. I'm not sure we've seen much of that in Bojack Horseman a lot, a lot at all. If, if, if at all, truth be told, the odd thing here and there, maybe for princess Carolyn, 
and die on. But like, this is a man who's actively changing the majority of his life on a lot yeah. of different levels and making sacrifices, which to you and me would seem normal, but to him are quite mm. big, like and, and quite important. Yeah, that's that's a like a really great point because it's not it's not something that they want you to miss because of the way they pay it off in the season finale. That wonderful again, stupid piece of shit style flashback to the work he puts in to get to find out Hollyhock's mother and yeah. find out her identity and find out Henrietta that of course we've been given in episode eleven is finally expressed on screen as a very detailed and difficult task. And in reality. He's never lost sight of that, as you say. He's never, he may have grumbled and he may have groaned and he may have not wanted to have those awkward, those brilliant door slamming in his face, awkward conversations with all his exes. But he has them over and over again. He has them and over and over again. And like he takes Diane's advice about going and waiting in all those lines down at the local council buildings and things like that. He, we see that and it feels like laborious and you're kind of living it through Bojack. But he never, as evidenced in the final, in the finale, he never gives up on that. And something that, an observation that I've made when we're reviewing this season by season, which is often stuff you miss when we're, it's like why we like to do this a macro sort of overview because you kind of miss it in the micro ones, is the comparison between season three, where season three's big, devastating climax is, of course, the death of Sarah Lynn, which is somebody young hurtling towards her death that has been affected by Bojack. In season four, it's somebody very old hurtling towards her death that has been affected by Bojack in the form of Beatrice. You know, obviously, she's an older woman. So, like, unfortunately, like, death was going to come sooner for her. But we are watching her dying while in his living room. She is not living a life anymore. You know, she, is, she was in a care home waiting to die. She's in his living room waiting to die. And then he wheels her off to that grotty place to die there instead. The comparisons between those two are stark. And he looks at Hollyhock as this, like, direct line of Sarah Lynn. And he knows that he has failed somebody that was once Hollyhock's age in the form of Sarah Lynn. And he will not do that again. Like Time's Arrow, of course, was the title of the episode. But it was also a theme that was brought like in, uh, into play in the old Sugarman Place episode. And that's what he's trying to... It's try, he's trying to reverse it, isn't he? He is trying to reverse it with Hollyhock. He cannot have Hollyhock be a Sarah Lynn. And he's got to do everything he can to give her the best possible foundation in her youth. So that she doesn't hit that Sarah Lynn wall at 30 and just become another casualty of Bojack Horseman. Definitely. And I think the big thing that they try to do this season is really break down the generational side of things. Like, and like give you the hugest, biggest, most obvious roadmap to how mm. these things happen. Like you meet a character like Beatrice Horseman and she is for all intents and purposes, evil. She's mm. awful, evil woman. But then they give you the, into the grey, they go into the grey and show you like, this is mm -hmm. how this happens to a person. This is how someone who can have all the hope and aspirations and optimism ever can end up like this. And I think the two things I always remember being the biggest takeaway and specifically I think more present in this time round was the generational factor in terms of we're looking at three generations of the Horsemen's onto the fourth, potentially with Hollyhock until we, of course, yeah. discover the big twist that she isn't his daughter. She is, in fact, mm -hmm. his sister. So we're still technically on that. The third generation, which is always a, an exciting one, I believe, I mean, yeah. across, different, across different mediums. Um, <laughs> but the generational thing's one, but I think it's finding a way to stop the rot and mm. like the, the failures that lead to that and or the, the successes that can help, but also the failures that 
ultimately result in why the the rot did not stop at that generation. And I think yeah. never is that more present than when Bojack has the realization that uh, Hollyhock has been um, not poisoned, but just been um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, spiked, I guess we'll call yeah. it. Spiked by Beatrice um, with the coffee, because that is the generation before him interfering with Hollyhock and sort of giving her this infamous horseman hall that we've like heard so much mm. about us and like is pure is purely bad for the characters who have it like literally every yeah. character we've heard from have this hall where all the goodness is steeped out and there's the nothing goes left and Hollyhock doesn't have it or certainly doesn't feel like she has it until she comes into contact with Beatrice and Bojack <laughs> and I guess it's more Beatrice in this scenario but I think that's such a massive thing for Bojack to go okay this woman who has given me some of the worst years of my life in Beatrice Horseman, like, can't do this to someone else now. I need to stop yeah. this rock. So instead of having Hollyhock be the one who gets to do to make the choices, it's Bojack interjecting to try and help. And I just thought that was such a massive, massive thing this season. Yeah, he doesn't... That's a great point, because he doesn't know it's Henrietta's DNA, but he knows at least somebody's DNA is there to try and counter... The horseman DNA. He, he, yeah. he assumes it's the woman he slept with, obviously, all them years ago. But he knows that there is somebody else's goodness that that might be keeping Hollyhock from all, as you say, like all of this this desperately sad family tree. And you know that feels like a nice place to well, not to talk about not a nice thing, but almost segues us into that horrific payoff to the old Sugarman place. <clears throat> Beatrice's mother, like they broke her brain. And yeah. that broke Beatrice's heart. So now she's going to break Hollyhock's body. Like, this is, as you say, to stop the rot. We've had head, we've had heart, and now it's going to be body in the form of Hollyhock, who's going to be spiked or is going to be, you know, made slim in by through chemical fashion or whatever it was that Beatrice was aiming to do there, whether she was doing it knowingly or otherwise, it was happening. It was happening. And, yeah, Bojack has to be... And he doesn't realise this, obviously. He doesn't realise what kind of saviour he has to be, but he has to be a saviour and he has to try and stop that. And it's again, it's a sense of purpose that he didn't feel, a sense of purpose and a sense of responsibility that he didn't feel like he had once upon a time with his with his television daughter, with Sarah Lynn, you know, and now he's got it with a real-life one. And it's it's an opportunity, isn't it? It's, uh, it's something that has come into his life that is presented as an earnest. It's not based on his career. It's not based on something that he feels like he has to do for press or for PR or for anything to do with his public face and persona. It's entirely isolated to his very real life. And I think that's it. I think the what we keep coming back to here is this. Ultimately, these these good things that Bojack's trying to do or these nice things they're trying to do are almost entirely for somebody else. We have no reason to believe, for the most part, there, there are little occasional moments of vanity that we get. But this is the first time where it's never about that second conversation of, well, what's it going to do for me? Or how will it affect this? Or how will it affect that? It's almost always... Absolutely, by the end. They can't dwell on that any harder by the end when he doesn't even want the credit for going... When he goes around and gives the note to the, the dads of having Henrietta's details, when he doesn't even want the credit, it's just about making sure she gets it. it the dads can't refuse that. They can justifiably not want Bojack anywhere near their daughter. Yeah but they absolutely can't refuse her right to reach out to her mother. And I don't think a Bojack from a prior season would have been able to break that ground with them. I don't think, especially not the one in, that we saw at the very end of season three, running away and trying to like, believing that charging with those wild horses would give him the relief that he needed from the life that he left behind. 
Yeah, I think the running away thing was a big deal. And I think that him not choosing to sort of abandon this element of his life, like at mm. a time where he technically has been given an out, hasn't he? He could, he could yeah. It's not ideal, obviously, and it wasn't actually his fault this time. But if he needed, if opposite needed, wanted to get out, then he could have done. But he, he chooses not to. And I just think what a huge um, turnaround this is. Think about him in season one, winning <laughs> winning the Golden Globe um, for doing nothing. Like, he mm. didn't do anything. He can't <laughs> even win the Golden Globe because it's a book, not a film. <laughs> or whatever the, the, the gag is right in there. So he wins the fake award and takes all the adulation for something he didn't do. And now... There is no award, no reward, nothing. But he does all the work and then doesn't want the praise. Like, that is a... like I know we're talking about season four here, but to tie that back, four seasons later, that's... Dare I say it, Michael, that's growth, isn't it? It is. And, like, you say it almost with a nervousness, and I think you're right to. There's almost like a trepidation to complimenting Bojack for growth or, or compliment him for anything because the likelihood is that they'll then throw a massive party and drive a car into a swimming pool or something yeah. like that. But it's just, yeah, all of that is a, it's a, it's all without recklessness. It's without a little asterisk against the name. It's, you can genuinely say it and you can draw a line or wrap a bow around the season, however you want to phrase it and actually say, you got one right. Pat on the back for today. Let's see how tomorrow goes. I think that's probably the, the nicest way to do it. Well, this is the thing, because as that many, this doesn't even get them even. Put it that way. It's like this is one <laughs> yeah. This is one good deed. This does not get rid of all the other bad stuff. Nor does it sort of fix any of the things probably in his mm. head. Like, yes, he's learned a lot this season. Actually learned a lot this season. But you still see glimpses. The selfishness, the narcissism, the everything creeping in. The usual yeah. Bojack. It's still there. Especially when he's driving his car, man, eating ice cream <laughs> with no hands on the wheel, pretty much. The guy is a lunatic, he's a menace, but this is growth. And I will say for now, it has been growth. That's, I can't deny it. It has been. I feel like that's probably, if we sat and listened back to all our recaps, I feel like that would be a common theme throughout them where we kind of, we figure out that maybe there's been growth, or if not growth, progression of a character. And then yeah. in the same breath can say, but really, has anything changed at all? But we say that as a compliment to the show because that's kind of life as well. You can yeah. sometimes feel like you've had this huge breakthrough moment in your own life and then realise that maybe you're one step away from a cliff edge and then you're back to where you started and things like that. It's just I think that, that like that's quite relatable content from the Talking Horse sitcom that we always we always lean on, no matter how wild they want to make this world and this universe, it's as close to reality as any prestige drama from HBO. Yeah. I am reminded of a line from an episode of uh, House MD, Michael. Um, mm. He said a great, there's a great line in there where he says, uh, not dying doesn't change anything or something like that. He says, like, you'd have, like, if somebody dies, mm. then something will change. Like, so if you see somebody and they passed away or died from smoking too many cigarettes because yeah. they've got cancer or something, then someone, something might change. If there's been a terrible tragedy, something might change. But he's, I'm sure he says, not dying doesn't change anything. And basically what I'm trying to get at here is he needed Sarah Lynn to die, to have this massive tragedy in his life. Yeah. To essentially force change to happen. Prior to I that, say, yeah. he's had a lot of close calls with even Sarah Lynn herself, near death experiences mm-hmm. or like near life destroying experiences, like in season two with them um, with Penny and stuff. But mm-hmm. this is 
finality. Like you can't. She's dead. There's no change in yeah. that. And I get that. I like I feel like finally that was. It took a force as bad and as negative and as absolutely heart wrenching as that to actually force some proper lasting change. I don't <laughs> know. Like I'm, getting... la- I'm not laughing. That's so on brand for Hollywood, isn't it? The death of a young woman fixes the comfort the comfort of an old man. An old like... man. Yeah. Well. What do you expect? We've been doing this show yeah. long enough now. This is what it is. And also, like, what, what we're going to sit here and clap this man, this mm. man, horse man. Like, if this is real life, yeah, but you still, you still basically killed this girl, like, yeah. indirectly. Mm. You don't just get to just polish over that. But of course you do, oh. Michael, because this is Hollywood. You just get to use your paintbrush and change a couple of strokes, and everyone's like, what a good bit of growth that horse has done this season. <laughs> A popular figure has died, and Bojack is having his cake and eating it too. I would say so. Yes, that's exactly what's happening. <laughs> that is exactly we, what is happening. We uh, we lean on themes and stuff like growth is a big one, obviously, because you want to see over um, the the twelve episodes, especially normally the seismic events of an episode eleven, just how characters will build from those and from what might have been happening in typically what feels like years ago when you go back to an episode one. Um, no change and all change for Diane and Mr. Peanut Butter. They found every reason to keep their problems on pause and then hit play, fast forward, times two, times 32, in the very closing moments of the season. Um, really expertly done, I think. Um, it's such impeccable plotting of these characters in how everything and nothing was going on. Let's review, even short form, what like Mr. Peanut Butter and Diane got up to in a one season, and it was loaded. Mr. Peanut Butter ran for office. He ran for office by winning a ski race. Uh, he basically got in league with one of his ex-wives to try and win that race, and then found himself opposing both of them when things changed in those circumstances. Mr. Peanut Butter and Diane's house fell underground, and they were temporarily locked underground with all of uh, Hollywood. Thanks, fucking. <laughs> <laughs> They managed to buy a new house. They travelled to Hawaii by car and couldn't even make it there. Um, they became the arch nemesis and then best friends on the campaign team of Governor Woodchuck Kudchuk Berkowitz. Diane secured a job at Girl Cruise and was then forced to write about the rights and wrongs of her own husband's political campaign. Like so much over the space of a season. And the one thing they didn't do was confront the significant and potentially fatal problems in their marriage until Mr. Peanut Butter does what he believes is the nicest thing he's done for it in about a year. And that's the moment where it all comes crumbling down. Like remarkable television writing to do so much and do nothing at all. That's exactly it, isn't it? I mean, if Seinfeld was the show about nothing, this is the show about <laughs> everything that has resulted in nothing. <laughs> like, but normally you'd probably... Class that maybe as a criticism. I think we said uh, last in the last episode, particularly at the end of this season, mm. you could easily be forgiven on the surface for thinking, well, they aren't any further forward than they were at the start of the season. Like, what really what's changed apart from them having the runaround in the middle? There's not a great deal changed. But that would be very, very incorrect, I think, because the whole <laughs> point is the point is the runaround, isn't it? Like the runaround in yep. the middle the distractions on such a huge scale for both of them, not just them, mm. um, not just Mr. Peanut, but of course, Diane has been heavily involved in a lot of this that's been going on, but neither of them 
has had the courage to confront the obvious real problems that we've seen that started, <laughs> well, they've started a long time ago, but they were really sort of coming to a head towards the end of season three. Mm. And there has been a lot of a lot of conversations that never happened that should have happened to this point. And we find this whole season really just shows you how much two people can go through together, but they could not be further apart. Yeah, absolutely. And um, it's like uh, when I think about like the cracks that they've shown in Diane and Peanut Butter's relationship, kind of from the beginning, it was once because you thought you were, you know, like guided to believe that Mr. Peanut Butter wasn't the right guy for Diane because you thought Bojack was. It was a far more nuanced approach than that. And we would learn that as if we're not watching some Ross and Rachel thing here. Quite the opposite, in fact. You know, you were supposed to see a reflection of a real-life relationship rather than a TV one that was always going to end the way that, you know, the writers wanted it to end. Here, um, it, you were kind of reminded in the finale of a much grander version of a huge mistake Mr. Peanut Butter made that one time, uh, which was, of course, to um, just plan what he believed was the perfect party for um, Diane. And brilliantly, of course, Bojack Horseman plays with words, it plays with language. Back then, it was the ballroom. This time, it was the bell room. They've changed but a vowel, but that vowel has made all the goddamn difference. Um, we knew it would go wrong. We talked about this in the finale. We knew that Diane would not appreciate this insane gesture, this transformation of a room in their brand new house into Belle's room from Beauty and the Beast before she had even reacted, before they'd even animated an expression on their face. You felt your stomach drop. At what the hell have you done, Mr. Peanut Butter? But he didn't. He would have just believed it to be the right thing. He would have believed it to be, um, a, a, you know, a kind of an attempt to make their new home together more hers than their old one ever was. That was all of his, his good nature stuff until finally he's honest. And again, it's taken 12 episodes of season four and countless other ones from the prior seasons. Uh, he's finally honest that this is as much to do with the issues that he's never fully dealt with over his broken marriages before. And I don't think it's a coincidence that it's in season four. Those have been labelled on the ex-wives of Mr. Peanut Butter have featured so prominently. Of course, he's campaigned with Katrina. Um, and then as she has uh, been in league with Jessica Beale uh, after the, the incidents that took place when the house sunk. And I think we've needed a bit like um, how we got uh, Bojack rebuilding the old Sugarman place to earn that he's got to rebuild a relationship with Hollyhock. We finally got a glimpse of who Mr. Peanut Butter is in those prior marriages through the prism of his ex-wives to learn maybe why his current one is failing too. He blurts it out in episode 12, but we've seen these quiet clues like appear in, in the prior 11 episodes. Definitely. And I think the, the usage of uh, Katrina and Jessica Biel in this season has been very telling indeed. Like, as you say, we've picked up a couple of bits from them personally, but I don't think it's a coincidence that both literally and figuratively, Mr. Peanut Butter has been fighting with the notions of his two ex-wives. <laughs> like, and I just think until he defeats them in the physical, <laughs> which he really, let's be honest, doesn't have a hand in at all. Like, no. He has no part in this. The person who defeats them is his current wife. Yeah. That's the magic of it. Like that's anybody who's watching this and going, well, this is just a bunch of hijinks and a bunch of stupid stuff. And Woodchuck well, Chuck Berkowitz is still in the in the in the Canada CIs, the governor of California or whatever it ends up being. Um the important part here though is that Diane is the one who has helped like more 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 than one occasion, yeah, has mm. helped him. So this hurdle he's overcome thanks to her. <laughs> right? 
And yes, and yes, Michael, the one big hurdle is actually her herself. And he just, oh, God, I'm, you want this to work so much. But then as mm. soon as you see the stupid little two flies that operate <laughs> the interior of Mr. Peanut Butter's brain starting to work together, and you see the, the bell room reveal, it's just, it is Diane's 35th birthday party all over again. And we did not have a ball, Michael. This was absolutely <laughs> rubbish and the bell room's not even that good either as i touched on in the last episode That's right, yeah. it's slapdash it's impulsive it's mr peanut butter to a t and it just made me sad this you know for all yeah. the hope and the contentment we got from bojack this really did make me sad i think um you've kind of hit upon the point there that they you're, you're supposed to feel sad and you're you're genuinely upset for what is a, you know a marriage that has fallen apart and I just, again, this this is happening every season with these two. They've done a tremendous job. The writing has done a terrific job of making you feel like you're in the marriage. You're not watching these two characters struggling. You're a part of it, as weird as that sounds. Like, they're, they're coming to the realisation at the very end. You yourself have been fighting against that a little bit. You've watched it and you can see it as an outsider. But at the same time, when it looks like it might work, you're rooting for it to work. You're as much on board with it as they are. You kind of there's that lovely moment in the um, I guess it's like a, a red herring, I guess, or a bit of a false dawn, where um, peanut butter get, gets back late to the motel, and which Diane has previously lit some candles and put on some negligee with the idea that like obviously when when he gets back they're gonna have sex, they're gonna like reconnect as a couple, and he stayed he stayed out late with some fans of his, and he's got back and she's fallen asleep. That doesn't become a row. That's a tender moment where she. He, Barely wakes her up, but he strokes a hand or he strokes a hair or something like that. She acknowledges that he's back and he's home safe. And it's not a fight. It doesn't matter that the night's falling apart because they're together. And it, obviously, as I say, it proves to be a false dawn because the row over the bell room is what's really going to tear them apart. Um, but it's nice because you will, it's as if you're going to be given this uneasy moment of, oh, God, peanut butter's back late. This is going to be another flashpoint. And it's the total opposite. And that's kind of, that's quite a good real reflection on marriage and on the bonding of a long-term relationship and for them to give you that as this one final everything's going to be all right before they pull the rug out from underneath you it's very bojack horseman but i think it's just a way that it keeps you believing that maybe things are going to work out for them there's two things for me that i got from that was it is nice that they've seemed to have just accepted each other at that point like mm. mr peanut butter has accepted that oh sorry diane has accepted that mr peanut butter Sometimes it's going to go off and do stupid stuff and will not turn up when he, she needs him to, and that's okay. And he realises that sometimes Diane's going to fall asleep because she couldn't wait up for him and his hijinks. But the other thing was, is this is so massive because Diane is doing a big gesture for Mr. Peanut, but mm -hmm. technically about as big as it's going to get for her. Like, this is... Yep. And we don't get it because mm. life got in the way. Mr. Peanut Butter does a big gesture for Diane. <laughs> we do get it. And oh no. <laughs> um, yeah, we can't obviously, it's a spoiler free podcast. You know, we'll get to season five. They didn't explicitly say um, that the marriage was over, but they gave you that devastating long pan and Diane in tears and talking about the, the dreaded magic eye, I guess, and just wondering if it's no longer worth staring at this for so long and trying to see what makes sense or if it's just a mess and all that. She's um, just so tired of squinting, Michael, is what she says. 
just so tied us quick, it, certainly it wasn't, you know, a happy ending if it wasn't entirely concluded as, you know, without us going into review next week's episode. So it's kind of a, like a nice opportunity to park that sadness there um, and move on to uh, the total opposite, which is to say complete flimsy, daft bollocks that was obscuring maybe Todd's biggest season ever. Todd, in season four, was almost entirely divorced and detached from Bojack, which has never happened before across an entire season. Um, but he himself realised that Bojack was such a toxic um, kind of like presence in his life that it was time to to pull away from. And that's what he, he at least realised that in season four. As a character, it was realised that like Todd was no longer really going to be defined by what was happening in Bojack's life at the time. Um, and we're going to get into you know, my own personal ridiculous theory about Todd. But it was expressed in other ways, um, whereas we saw, like, Todd become a fashion icon, for example, and just the, the wonderful running gag of somebody every week being in Todd's hat and jacket until everyone was in Todd's hat and jacket. And the realisation at season three about him possibly being asexual, that he maybe didn't want to fully confront. So instead of confronting that, he got into clown dentistry. Again, the flimsiest stupidest idea that was flimsy and stupid by design because the stuff that they were tackling with Todd was enormous. Um, the handling of an asexual character. New ground for mainstream television to be looking into and focusing upon and trying to get the dialogue right and trying to get, um, trying to like represent a community in a way that is, I think marginalised would be an understatement. I think it virtually hasn't existed as a community in television before. So they're, they're tackling something enormous with Todd. But in doing so, the character doesn't want to tackle it himself. So in a clown dentistry, he goes, this is Mr. Peanut Butter's um, pasta strainers, you know? This is something absurd, but that won't go away until it's used and it's paid off and they've done the gag. And then at the very, very end of the season, the last thing Todd does is finally confront it with another character who says to him, I'm asexual too. Let's see where this goes. So again, much like uh, uh, Diane and Mr. Peanut Butter, nothing has happened while everything has been going on in the foreground. Like mm. absolutely everything and nothing like sort of in unison together. And I just think again, like really, really deftly handled, really delicately well dealt with, teeing up Todd for like so much more in season five, the biggest stuff. He can finally get onto the biggest stuff because he spent all season trying to avoid it with clown dentists. Yeah, I think we should have probably guessed from the very beginning of this season that this was going to be a good one for Todd when his invention of the drone throne is the thing that begins <laughs> begins his ascendancy, Michael, if you will, in this season. Uh, with a few other choice selections that you've made throughout this whole show, I would imagine. Mm. Uh, more on that later, though, and Todd <laughs> and his mythical status, shall we say. Um. But yeah, it's been a delight watching Todd. Um, kind of just getting the grips with himself, really, isn't he? And, and understanding, like who, who, and what, and where, and how, and when, uh, to is like he's trying to figure himself out. And and it's been it's been a delight because, yes, he might have channeled it into this mad little side venture of his, but that's what he does. Like hmm. that's how he rolls. That's how Todd rolls. There was something really quite nice though, wasn't that about that end? End moment of this season of him kind of not being cool about or like not feeling comfortable with labels and stuff still and like really just you know we saw obviously with him and Emily in the previous season and kind of at the beginning of this one that relationship is 
it's never going to, it wasn't going to go where they maybe thought it was romantically, so they're just friends and stuff. And seeing Todd's journey into eventually bumping into your discovering that Yolanda and another fellow asexual, just like heartwarming stuff. And as you say, mm. from a narrative perspective, like for me personally, I don't think I've ever seen on, on TV, like, and that's not to say it doesn't exist, the uh, sort of exploration into the life of an asexual. I've just never personally seen it. This was the yeah. first time for me uh, in a TV show. And I think given Todd such like an independence in this season wasn't a coincidence either, I think, because it was important that he wasn't on a journey as someone's sidekick so much. This Yes, he did interact with some of the other characters, but it wasn't yeah. like so-and-so and Todd. It was Todd and so-and-so, if that makes sense. Like, he would be dropping mm. in somewhere rather than the other way around. Um, but yeah, it's kind of exciting to, to think what, the possibilities could be with Todd now because especially having put into another asexual yeah um clown dentistry wasn't I mean it, the, the <laughs> guts of it the DNA of it is in PB living of course it is but ultimately this was something Todd very much took forward by himself as you say it was him finding his independence we of course had um hooray Todd episode this series the the big one the, the big turning point for my daft theory and Todd's like sort of life going forward in general, it was all about um, separating Todd off from the bulk of the characters. Not all of them will we'll get to, obviously, Princess Carolyn shortly. Um, but yeah, like separating him off from needing to be defined first by Bojack and then be defined by Princess uh, by um, Mr. Peanutbutter and moving on to just working himself out. And it's nice as well because Todd has always been a voice of wisdom and a welcome presence in the room. And as we say by every character, a character that just all others fall in love with like instantly they want to touch his face they want to be sort of like he has this presence in a room and getting to see him benefit i guess from that himself like not just be there for others has been has been rewarding um but again it's sort of it I've said this already in this podcast we're a spoiler free podcast so it's all it's always like when we're kind of wrapping these things up like your your temptation is to want to like dive into season five and ask the big questions about what's going to happen to him next. But really, all we can deal with is what's happened at the end of season four, which is this really wonderful meeting. This uh, what this chance encounter, I guess, with Yolanda, who is from the Better Business Bureau. And the one thing that Todd isn't really good at is better businesses. So the one person that he's met that the universe has given him, it's kind of nice. It's good karma being repaid to a character like Todd for somebody like Yolanda being the one of all people to step into his life. And that's exactly it. I think we finish it. We finish the season and it leaves me with a question that I want answered. And that question is, what's it like? What's a relationship like between two asexuals? I'm actually Mm. like intrigued to see this dynamic because Lord knows I've never seen it presented to me on television before. And I think that's amazing because Yolanda herself, even Todd, Todd is me in this end moment where he sits down and he kind of says to her, like, just at the end, well, I feel like I need to tell you that, like, uh, I'm asexual, you know, just before anything mm. happens because she offers him her number. And she's like, yeah, no, I know you are. Um, but you can still go out, like, asexuals can still date. That's like, a, <laughs> and I think that's amazing how innocent Todd is in that moment because he's still learning. Like, he's yeah. learning who and what he is. And that's, ah, I don't know, it was great. It was really, really uplifting. Again, another, like, pleasant bit of contentment, perhaps, between the characters. 
Yeah, catharsis for characters. You were being given catharsis for, for major characters, um, which I don't know. I guess we could debate how much Princess Carolyn got this series. Um, I kind of wanted to save the best for last, I guess, because she's the best. She's the best of all of us as Princess Carolyn. But it's she been a, it's the been best. A, it's been a rocky road. Um, of Let's course, be honest, Michael. Sorry to interrupt you there, but uh, she's a princess for a reason, isn't she? You know, <laughs> she she's is. not. She's not like a sir. She's not a captain. She is a princess, and for good reason. And she must be protected as such. Um, it's been a, a roller coaster for her this time around. She, of course, started the season in a relationship with uh, Ralph that we weren't to believe was anything other than happy. And um, they were still learning about one another, but they were moving fast because they realized they loved one another and it was you know they were both they were acknowledging that they were an age where they just wanted to get on with things and um, that led to them trying um to have a baby we would learn of her miscarriage within their relationship but obviously of the more that she'd had that she hadn't told ralph about once before uh, and during their relationship it was something that was happening to her quite a lot um, despite that she'd made very apparent that she wanted to have a baby she wasn't prepared to give up just because of all these miscarriages Ultimately, sad as that was, it got in the middle um, of the relationship with her and Ralph to the point where they broke up. Um, and at the same time, she fell out with Judah because once he uh, he broke her trust on a professional level, um, which she believed, which she deemed, you know, in her defence, uh, a sackable offence. Um, so she lost Judah at the same time. She very much lost like two rocks of her personal life, I guess, all at the same time. Um, and of course, we got. Uh, an instant classic of an episode in the way that it breaks your heart in the last six seconds. We got Ruthie, which was a story told from who somebody we believe to be a great, 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 great granddaughter uh, of Princess Carolyn, who turned out to be a figment of her imagination, a coping mechanism for when you have bad times in your life. And she was indeed going through a bad time. Um, we've talked about the contentment of Todd and the catharsis of Bojack. There was elements of that. I guess, in the finale um, of season four, you had Todd playing Princess Carolyn, um, the famous Princess Carolyn pep talk. You need to sort your shit out. You need to get yourself together, all that kind of thing. She needed that for the first time. It was no longer a case of her giving it to others. It was her needing it. But it was nice because all the characters that had previously taken so much from her were able to give back. Todd was able to give her the pep talk, having had to live through them himself. Bojack just gave her himself just signed on the dotted line of a show that she'd already signed him up for. Her career was hanging in the balance because she'd put Bojack, she'd forged Bojack's signature effectively out of necessity to keep her business alive. And he just gave her the nod. He just said, yeah, I'll do it. I owe you one. That, it was as simple as that. And their relationship has never been so simple before. It's always been riddled with personal and professional overlaps and yeah. complexities. And it had never been so simple just when she really needed a win. So I wouldn't say it was like overarching catharsis, but she got what she needed to round out a difficult year. And again, we could dare I say it going into season five because I've already said it about, you know, several of the other characters. Maybe there's like nicer days ahead for her than some of the ones she had to suffer through in this series. I hope so. I certainly hope so. Particularly for the laws that she had to go through. Mm. Um, but I think for each character, I, I tend to try and... I remember Raphael Bob Waxberg talking about when they're doing the writing for these new seasons. And he kind of tries to come up with a, the question for each character, like, what does a season look like if X is tackling X? Like, if what happens if this person is having their worst year? What happens if... 
these two are doing this. You know, like he, that's the question. And I just think the Princess Carolyn one here feels like it's like what happens when things aren't all coming up Princess Carolyn. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Which they usually are because she's so goddamn great. Like mm. everything works for her. And that the episode where she's having in Ruthie, where she's just having a bad day, like the the um a heel on a shoe breaks and then she spills coffee and all that stuff. It, it's just, it's weird seeing her having a bad day because she's so on top of things. She's so yeah. organised. But the magic of that, seeing the way this season, everybody pulls through for her in a different way. Like, because that's face it, she becomes like an alcoholic after losing the mm-hmm. baby. Um, very understandable. Uh, and she needs a little help from her friends to uh, paraphrase the Beatles. And like, she gets it. She totally gets it. Like, all these seasons of her being a good egg for people when they have been some of them more disastrous than others, admittedly. <laughs> Cough <laughs> and back. Um, but she gets it back. She gets it, and the universe repairs her for that. Obviously the the miscarriage isn't exactly the repayment. That's not, not no. what I'm getting at. But I just mean Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. All that good energy that she's put out for the last three seasons is returned to her in some way, shape, or form in this season. And at a time when she absolutely needs it, she gets it. And I just thought, like, it's hard to call it, like, a huge home run for her because she has been through a a difficult time, which is undoubtedly going to change her again. But I did think what was important in this episode was how they tried to take something as big as miscarriage and try to normalise it a little bit as well. using yeah. Prince. Because, of course, it did. Because, of course, Princess Carolyn would be the character to do that, the practical functional character that she is like who has a good handle on things life in particular Mm -hmm. that sort of moment where she explains that this wasn't the first time this has happened for her it had happened many times as it does for quite a lot of women but not enough medium i think talk about that either much like we were talking about the asexual relationships so they use princess carolyn for that in as a vehicle for that and i just 
Like, yes, she's had a bad time, but somehow, Michael, at the end of it all, she's turned that hard time into something productive for the audience who are watching it. And I think that's such a sort of hallmark of Princess Carolyn as a whole. She uh, she may be a manager now, but she never loses her agency, does she? Like, that is something, that is something they lean upon throughout. Um, it's so, it's, it's, there's, we talked about this before, and it's what makes this show, really. It's what makes every film, song, TV show you watch better is when there's women in the room giving the keys. Like, uh, that's, I think that's so, like, she feels like a character written by women to relate to women, to educate men, like, idiots like yes. us, you know, need to watch and learn, and, like, it's, it's entertainment, but it's informative too. Um, and like, this is appropriate. Now we're talking about Princess Carolyn. She's a cat, Adam. Um, a stray observation that I've sort of stumbled upon as we've been having this conversation is that Todd, Bojack and Princess Carolyn all have, Bojack of course, because it's his show, but all have episodes very, very, very dedicated to the internal and external exploits of their day, their life, and all the things that really matter to them. You've got Hooray Todd episode, you've got Ruthie, and you've got numerous ones, obviously, for Bojack throughout the season. Who don't who don't get an episode that is just wholly dedicated to them, their problems, their solutions? It's Diana and Mr. Peanut Butter. No, there's no one single episode but where we're allowed didn't to let me answer. <laughs> <laughs> where we're allowed to stop and focus on them. And that just feels nice because they never stopped and focused on them. And I think that's like, when I think about looking at the season as a whole, when every character's needed a moment of introspection, they've been given it by the writers, except the two that perhaps this year needed it the most. Absolutely. And don't you wish you'd save that one for later on, eh? <laughs> what a great realisation to have mid No, I'm only joking. That's, it is true, though. Like, the two who really need that just don't get it uh, at all. And I think they specifically make it clear that they don't get it because of the busyness of the lives that they're choosing to essentially run. Like, it is their own doing, essentially, by the end of this. Um, but yeah, is that all of us? Is that all the characters covered? I feel like we've covered it. I feel like that's uh, that's season four's big plot points in the camp. You mean you haven't got huge arcs for Beatrice and Hot No, I'm only joking. <laughs> <laughs> the look on your face there, brilliant stuff. Um, but yes, that's the end of the podcast now. So we're all going home and that's <laughs> the end of it. And great. No, of course it's not. Of course not. We have had all the serious deep dive into characters and Hollywood stars and celebrities. We found out what they know. Do they know things, Michael? Probably not. Um, but we now are going to go and do the segment of the show we call Horsing Around. Usually we would go back through the episode and get all of the best bits that we found, all the hidden meanings, all the... Um, small details you might have missed all the easter eggs and stuff but this is a season's worth now so yeah. as we do we go back through all 12 episodes of season four and pick out personal favorites i think yeah. they always end up having to be personal favorites because you know it has to be subjective unfortunately because generally <laughs> there are just so many across the board that sometimes i have to pick the stupidest one rather than the one maybe that was the highest up mm. on the list so let's go back shall we getting our little DeLorean and hop back to episode one of season four. This one was a very subtle one, very quick one, but a callback to season three, episode 12. So if you watch it back to back, you kind of get this straight away. But if you don't, and you had to wait that year for a season to come out, you had to really catch this one. Because as um, 
as Emily and Todd obviously win all that money, don't they? Or they, they get all that money, $8 million yeah. each, which Todd accidentally signs off to the waitress <laughs> at the end of season three as a tip. And Emily obviously does not do that because Emily is smart. And she's a woman, of course. That's because, of course. Yeah. Smarter than us. Better than us in most ways. But at the end of that episode, she, Todd asks her what she's going to do with all her money. She talks about how they're going to go to fancy restaurants and stuff. But she says she wants to buy a really fancy hat is what she wants to do. Well, mm. season one episode... No? Yeah, season four episode one. Sorry, that's what I mean to say. The first thing we see about when we meet her and Todd, they're sitting in the Silver Spoon Diner and she has a little bag next to her that is from the really fancy hat. <laughs> which I just thought was such... A, they don't need to do these things, but they do. And we love them for doing it. It's yeah. such a small one, but such a great one. Now, from a pile of giggles to a pile of misery. <laughs> Episode two <laughs> is, of course, the old Sugarman place. And for this one, I've gone with... The horrid, horrid juxtaposition of the beginning of the episode where um, Honey Sugarman is playing the piano with her brother Crackerjack and they're all having a great time and she gets interrupted by Joseph Sugarman who's basically like, you can't be having fun, da-da-da-da. And she says, why, I have half a mind and she's all jovially talking to her husband. And then they take that and throw it in her face at the end of the episode. (laughs) By the end of it, she does indeed have half a mind, at which mm. point she said, she repeats the, the same sentence, why I have half a mind, but just drifts off into nothingness. Excellent writing altogether, but yes, a pure, pure, well, I guess I'll say it from your perspective, kick in the dick, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Well, it was a but it was a headbreaker, wasn't it? Yeah. Or a headbreaker, indeed. Uh, we go to episode three next. And this one, I guess fittingly, from a kick in the dick, Michael, is Bojack related because it's about time we uh, we shone some light on our protagonist. I know he would want us to because it's all about Bojack Horseman, Michael. And mm. just this amazing line, I think it's Todd who delivers it. Um, and he says, <clears throat> Bojack used to say his penis is like sun-dried tomatoes. <laughs> <laughs> Back in the 90s, it got into everything. <laughs> An amazing, amazing line. And yet, of course, the payoff is huge because it literally re- results in him and Hollyhock having to go all <laughs> around Los Angeles trying to figure out who and what might be Hollyhock's mother, which is just amazing. Episode four next. Episode four next. And Michael, you may start to notice the theme going on here because how did Bojack and his uh, sun-dried tomatoes-esque penis do all of this? I mean, I get you ask. Like, you're obviously you're curious to know. Uh, I, I, yeah, I do want to know. Well, you see, what he's trying to get across, Michael, is to Hollyhock at least. He's basically saying that the point is, I banged a lot of women. One night stands, two night stands, noonas, spooners, and hot <laughs> <laughs> And I would love to have some thoughts on a postcard for what some of them might be. Uh, and Podcast Horseman, if you've got them. <laughs> oh, great. Next up, we go to a brilliant observation, uh, particularly from Todd, this one. Our mm. friend Todd. Also known by another name, but we'll get to that later on. Uh, episode five, this one is. And during the episode, of course, where there's all the gun violence is happening in Hollywood and it causes the production of Courtney Portnoy's film, 
mistaken to be put on hold and mm. scenes being put, etc. They're trying to figure out how to tackle this problem, aren't they? And they don't know how. And they're in the boardroom and they're in a meeting. They're trying to figure it out. And Todd's there for no reason, actually, just Todd's there. <laughs> but he does have a whiteboard <laughs> and he's trying to come up with some solutions. And as you'll see on the whiteboard, Todd is basically expressing that if all the people have the right pumped up kicks, maybe they can outwit <laughs> the bullets. <laughs> Which is, of course, a brilliant reference to the first other people song, Pumped Up Kick. And if I recall correctly, the diagram that he's drawn is just like a pair of sneakers and like <laughs> the bullets getting... It was brilliant. Really well done. Very Episode good, six, that. though. This one was an accidental find, this one, but one of my favourite pulls that we got this season, I think. Remember we mentioned that there's a random moment where in the... Um, hillsides of Hollywood when one of the cars is pulled over a dreep a, a dreep a jeep drives by uh, and in that jeep is a cat driver um certainly it looks like a cat and but the registration was just p-22 and you and I thought what on earth is that should we look into it I say you and I I did because I'm the hard worker here um <laughs> and of course we learned that amazing thing that we didn't know about this in Los Angeles that the the P-22 is a mountain lion well-known to the uh, Angelinos area due to his presence in Griffith Park. Do you remember this? Mm, yes. Um, where basically, terrified me. Just the, the prospect terrified me. The prospect of a, just a, <laughs> a mountain lion that just wanders around Griffith Park. Claimed to be the world's most urban natural park and host to the famous Hollywood sign, of course, or Hollywood mm. in this situation, just has a giant... Like mountain lion wandering around. <laughs> uh, cool, can't wait to go and check that out. <laughs> I don't feel great about it. I do not feel great about that. Really hey, not for me that. But hey, interesting nonetheless. Um, episode seven though. We talked about Todd on his journey of exploration and transformation. Well, not just internally, Michael. Externally, we remember Todd has the tattoos from season one where he was part of the gangs in prison, of course. On one arm, he used to have a tattoo that said Latin Kings, and on the other arm, a tattoo that said Skinheads. Well, they have now been changed by presumably pen, because it's Todd. Of course, it's not going to be permanent. Uh, the Latin Kings one now says LA Kings instead, and the Skinheads one now says Skinny Jugheads instead. <laughs> <laughs> so Todd obviously trying to... Course correct, I think it's fair to say. Um and also, interestingly, I found that is that he, for a man who doesn't like labels, changing his labels on his arm kind of oh, feels yeah. telling. Very good. Kind of feels yeah. telling. Episode eight, though. Now, episode eight, this is a nice, fun one. If you recall, this is the one where Princess Carolyn goes to visit uh, Todd's, Todd's, um, Ralph's parents at the Stilton home, wherever it is. Um, and it is, of course, the Festival of St. Squeaky Day or whatever it's <laughs> called. And they have a song, Michael. They have a song for this. They do. Unfortunately, as is always fun on this podcast, I have no remember. I know no remembrance. I have no memory whatsoever of how the theme goes. <laughs> <laughs> what I do have is the lyrics. So I think it feels important to maybe give this a go and see how mm-hmm. much of a disaster Wait. we can make it. So the brilliant song from episode eight is as follows. <clears throat> Look. Cat me, I'm a dumb cat king. I'm an ugly, mean, fat thing. Innocent mice will feel my wrath. 
I'm a stinky cat who never takes a bath. I'm positively evil. I'm nasty and I'm smelly. <laughs> so I'll take my sword and stab you in the belly. <laughs> and that is definitely not how it went in the episode. But that's how it's going on this podcast today. I like to think we've got, because I know you did that rendition in the episode review as well. I like to think at this point we've got three versions of it. Yep, three um, versions. Any of our more creative listeners, feel free to do like a remix. Put them all together. Like make a mashup by all means of all three versions. Yes, please do. At Podcast Horseman, we'd love to hear it. And maybe <laughs> in an episode. Who knows? Uh, anyway, speaking of episodes, we'll go to episode nine now of season four. And um, this is just a nice, cute one. In the episode, Ruthie, uh, where, where Ruthie is doing the presentation and she's got the futuristic... Um, background on where it's showing all the like images to go with the stuff she's talking about brilliantly when she starts talking about uh, Diane and Bojack of course the images for both of them even in this year which is like light years away from where we are in present day um, the pictures for both of them is Diane eating the messy sandwich which we've obviously seen a million times in this show <laughs> and still Bojack cannot he needs to pump up kicks Michael because he can't outrun the picture of him sneezing on Marissa Tomei <laughs> as being his picture, even <laughs> in the future. Uh, episode 10, though. A big reveal in episode 10, I think we can all agree, mm-hmm. about finding out what's been happening to Hollyhock. She's been getting uh, spiked by Beatrice for this whole season uh, with the coffee that's been full yep. of Chub Be Gone, I believe it is, <laughs> that Beatrice is putting in her drink, which is making her feel all sorts of weird anxieties and panics, etc., etc. Um, But... The big reveal here was the one that was staring us in the face for the whole season, pretty much, Michael, is that uh, Raphael Bob Waxberg was showing us the whole time that Beatrice was the one spiking Hollyhock, but he was given that she was given her the coffee in those opening credits. But mm. who was to know? It completely recontextualizes all of that for us when we find out the big reveal. And he's mm. just such such a very, very good man, him, isn't he? For I say very good, but also a tease, a real tease. Yeah. Because he knows what he's doing. He knows, he knows exactly what he's, what he's doing. Very good stuff indeed. Episode 11, though, uh, is, of course, Time's Arrow, which was, whoo, that was quite an episode. <laughs> but because, of course, Beatrice is our unrelatable narrator, I think it's fair to say, and has all these things going on in her head, um, we get the brilliant moment where things are changing always inside the um, the world of her head. And... Things change places, characters change faces, etc. But our favourite, I think, for both of us in this episode was that when she goes to Bojack's house to visit him, uh, we see the background and the Hollywood sign still yes. reads Hollywood, even though she's gone back to the early noughties until mm. someone says the word Hollywood and then the D miraculously reappears. Oh, amazing, amazing. It's, such a tiny detail, but it's a real... I think it might be one of my favourites of the season, actually, that one. Yeah. Just genuinely great to see, because you could have easily got away with either. I think I remember writing in my notes, they've got this wrong! Like, quickly mm. scribbling it down, and then, of course, they haven't. I'm an idiot. It's um, um, it, The zap effect of it, like like one of her jolts of something that she's misremembering as well, the way they play it into her uh, dementia, I think is sublime. It's, it's really one that I, like, I don't think we can do justice describing, because when you see and hear the visual... It's like the synapses of a brain. Yes, yeah, yeah, that's it. As soon as she hears that, it's jolted into doing something. It's really, really good stuff, this. And finally, 
Um, one that might tie in nicely for you, yeah. Almost like maybe one of us planned this. <laughs> um, episode 12, I just loved when we get to the Silver Spoon Diner at the end of Todd's journey for the season, we get a slow zoom out from him sat with his chair in his trademark yellow hat and red hoodie to find an entire diner full of people dressed like Todd. What if mm. Todd was indeed one of us, Michael? Well, <laughs> to find out that Todd's fashion theme throughout this season has been really great. Love to see his influence and how they've stuck with it. And in each little mm. episode, they've let us remember that. But there was a, a specific number of people in there, wasn't there? I think we ended up coming to a tally of maybe 12 people. There all was there, like, 12, including yeah. the person on the billboard, I think it's fair to say, for anybody who wants to be picky about numbers. But... <laughs> Those were all of the horsing arounds from this season, which I think we can all agree, some real great picks in there. But, Michael, as is customary on the episodes, and of course, during these season recaps, I do believe we still have time for one last thing, and then I swear to God, I will shut up about this season forever. Hmm. And I would normally ask you, but I'm just going to push it over to you. <laughs> because what better tee-up are you going to get than that? Yes, thank you for that segue. Um, for those that haven't listened to this show, episode by episode, what you're doing, um, I know this is a recap, and I know you say, look, you can use this as primers, but we want you to listen to every episode. So please go back and listen to them all. I laboured over this in episode three, which I believe was episode three, hooray, a Todd episode. Um, when I came to the realisation that I have accepted and believed to be canon and true, that Todd is God, or at the very least, uh, the representation of God in the world of Bojack Horseman, the idea that there is um, an almighty, a, somebody that everything spins off of. We always portrayed him as a character that was almost too wise for the world he was in, a character that was just able to say and do things, and then they would become so. And in this season, we got literal disciples, of course, in the form of, as you pointed out there, how everybody started dressing and acting like him. Um, how there were suddenly 12 people at what was Todd's last supper of season four. Um, it all, the more you wanted to look for it, the more you would find it, which I assume is how religious people would maybe treat their faith as well. Um, there was just more things to find if you wanted to go looking for them. If you wanted to have faith in this idea, you would come gradually to believe it, that Todd is a godlike presence. It also paid off something that we just enjoyed as a, as a gag sort of a build on something I mentioned earlier on. People love Todd. He is a bright light in the room, whichever room that is, whichever person that is, they can't get enough of his presence. It's, it's not just what he says or what he does. It's the very physical presence of Todd, the way he looks, the way he feels when they grab his face or his clothes or whatever. Um, he does something to people, almost as if they are having their own come-to-Jesus moment. Um and it's a theory I'm just simply not going to tire of. It's one that I'll beat into the ground, and it's one that I'll be looking for every single time. Every opportunity there will be as we go on through this podcast, I'll be looking for other ones. Um, that's my one last thing. Well, mine, and uh, this is going to seem like a cop-out, I guess. Maybe a cop-out, but it's not, because it is that good. Mm. This is going to sound very familiar to anybody who watched the last episode or watched to listen to the last episode of this podcast um because the one that i've gone for is the magic of the foreshadowing from your friend todd the god um which I guess <laughs> this only just backs that up really doesn't it um because hmm. the man can see the future and manifest things in a way that nobody else can 
because for anybody who might have missed last week's episode, I guess, um, Todd does something brilliant. Because, of course, he does. He's Todd. And I don't know if you've heard already, but he is, of course, God also. So there is that. <laughs> um, but basically, there's the clown dentists, of course, who have been a <laughs> heavy feature in season four, I think we can all agree, who end up, by the end of uh, episode 12, they have become zombified, essentially. They get rabies, and they are walking around the woods in horrifying fashion that <laughs> manages to turn into another business idea. Of course he does. Of course he does. But brilliantly, the seeds for this were planted much, much earlier by Todd. And it's that good that it is, in fact, going to be my one last thing for the entire season. Uh, in season two, episode 10, um, which is where Todd is working with the people of the shenanigans, of course, the improv mm. group that he goes to um, before all of the actual shenanigans that he gets into with them later on in life and the giggle ship, no less, that he ends up on. But that's a story for another time. They're all talking in a bar. Bert's Bar, I believe, is where they meet. And um, he's talking to a bunch of his other improv mates. And basically, we jump into the conversation as they are in the middle of it. And they say, like, hey, Todd, you had some killer probs. <laughs> you had some killer probs in class today. <laughs> and someone else says, yes, and, which is, of course, the title of the episode. Mm -hmm. Yes, and that zombie dentist scene was so innovative. Now, that <laughs> in itself shows you that Todd, even as far back as season two, was already doing improv about zombie dentists <laughs> then become a thing later on. This is there's the layers to this, man. This is yeah. such a throwaway line, that as well. And yet, it pays off. Of course it pays off, because Bojack Horseman, Michael, is better than the show you like. <laughs> no, it's a magic one, that. And I think it's just, again, even if it wasn't just a lovely bit of textured, layered writing, and they kind of ha they happened upon trying to think of what was going to be Todd's great distraction... I love that they dug into the archives for what that would be. And, like, they didn't just have two ideas balls. One said clowns, one said dentists, and they smashed them together for a gag. They went right back into the archives to have something that we could then appreciate on multiple rewatches or, indeed, on hack podcasts. It was great that they went to that trouble for our benefit. It just feels like a lovely bit of Bojack Horseman fan service. And we know that there is a lot of fans out there that enjoy those details. It was great they went at the trouble. I didn't realise you did another podcast. <laughs> I, really, I really don't even like to, to plug out. No, it's, uh, it's, it's just news to me. <laughs> it's, um, it's better than the show you like, as we always say. And it's for reasons like that. Yeah, they do the work. They make all of the small details matter. Almost all of them. Apart from the ones they don't want to matter. In which case, they still chose to make them not matter. That's the thing. <laughs> um, so, yeah. That's all of your bits and bobs for this season of Bojack Horseman. Season four, wrapped up with all your horsing arounds, all your one last things, and all of your Michael Hamflit analysis with a name pending, I guess, for whatever you want to call it. <laughs> but this is season four recap, Michael. So what does that mean? That means we also have got some questions to tackle, I believe. This is yeah. usually your forte, this one. You are the one who tends to go into depth and find all these. Have we got any good ones for this season? I'm sure there's a few people who wanted to find something about season four. We do. Um, we'll start with Edward Shiraz-Hans. Thank you, Edward, for getting in touch. 
um, regular contributor in the past. And he has uh, replied to the other uh, thread we put up just for last week for anyone that wanted to get in touch, saying, uh, how different, I'll pitch this one to you, how different do you think the show would feel if every season ended with an episode 11? And he's added as well, Edwards has uh, also, which character's arc do you identify the most with up to this point? So it's a bit of a question in two parts there. So take the first one there. Um, how would it feel if every season episode ended with an episode 11? Really, really bad. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it would feel. Um, no, I guess it would genuinely recontextualise the end of a season, though, wouldn't it? I mean, imagine if you had to wait after Sarah Lynn's death. Imagine if that was the final moment Yeah. in the auditorium, Sarah Lynn dying. Or imagine if the final moment was Bojack and Beatrice in the the nursing home. Mm. Or, like, oh, God. I don't even want to think about the majority of the season 11s, uh, the episode 11s <laughs> that we've been through, if that was the end. But I think it's very important that they're not the end because the whole point of those episode 12s is to restore the fact that there is hope. There is potentially something over the hillside and you just have to kind of keep persevering. Because isn't that life, Michael? Isn't that life, <laughs> the way they do it? So, yes, I think it would be massively different, like hugely different to the point where I genuinely think maybe maybe there'd be a drop-off because that's a heavy way to end a season and not mm-hmm. leave people with it. A year's worth of hope, basically, which is what those episode 12s do. Is it not as well fair to say that maybe it's a, a choice to separate BoJack from other TV shows, that you're not being left with the most devastating of cliffhangers? They're trying to portray it more as real life, and in real life, you don't get a break. You don't get several months to try and digest the events of a terrible time. You pretty much have to crack on and deal with the ramifications. And I I think there's more reality to be found in not ending these seasons on... Like, sometimes there's cliffhangers, sometimes there's unknowns, but it's never at the peak of the devastating flashpoint in any of the characters' lives. No, and I think this show is all about dialogues, isn't it? And I think mm. to end an episode and end a season on an episode where there's like it's a closed dialogue, which would be the case if you would, nine times out of ten would be the case, I think, if you were to finish on an episode eleven, because the dialogue is well, what happens now? Or like, mm. there's oh, and let's be honest, we all know the real great shows of the prestige TV era, like they always pull the trigger in episode eleven. Or yeah. the penultimate episode is where you do all your heavy lifting and then you have an episode 12 or 13 or whatever to deal with the aftermath, to give us the mm. fallout, to show us the ramifications and to bring us back to neutral before heading somewhere else and give us the what's going to be next sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, I think it would feel very, very different, to say the least. Arcs that I would relate to the most from characters, was that the question, yeah? Yes, yeah, yeah. Characters arc you this identify with season. Mm. Oh, that's a good question. Um, I actually don't. I'm trying to think who out of all of them, because it's so they're so, they're so very spe- specific. The narratives aren't they? Um, yeah. Judah, do I get to be Judah? I mean, you've been no doing a cra- you've been doing a cracking job of it for years. <laughs> for no other reason than growing a beard and growing the hair out long, and I know the struggle that man's been going through in this show. <laughs> I really do. That's probably the arc I can relate to the most. That and being let go from a job. <laughs> <laughs> that has happened to me before. And not for my not for reasons that were my fault either. Um so maybe that. Maybe that right now. I'll give you that as my answer. 
I might be a bit weak that one, but there you go. I think that's weak. I think that's a fair one. Yeah. I like, and not to sort of tip the scales and get unnecessarily hefty in this podcast, but Princess Carolyn, I'll be the Princess Carolyn to your Judah in this case, and the fact that you do indeed pretty much keep my life on schedule with this podcast. Do you um, fight him? Is that what's going to happen? <laughs> quite <laughs> the opposite, otherwise this podcast dead. Um, no, uh, yeah, like I've, and we talked about it in the episode at the time, and it's not something that I, there should be any sort of shame or like social nervousness over anyway, but I've just experienced miscarriage. I was obviously on, I guess, like Ralph's side of it. And yeah. it's something that me and my wife have gone through together. And it doesn't get discussed enough and it doesn't get normalized enough through television shows. And it should do. And it's something that uh, it's way, way more common than a lot of television and film and media would have you believe. Um, not enough things that women experience are talked about in in the way they should be. You know, not enough things that women go through are normalized. Um, and this never, Bojack never gets it wrong, ever, never, ever gets it wrong. Um, and I think this is a tremendous one to sort of watch happening. It's something I certainly recall, like having very vivid thoughts about the first time I watched this season through. And it was almost like, nice isn't the right word, but it was um, reassuring to revisit this time around and just think, oh yeah, this absolutely smashed it. This got this so right. Yeah, and I feel like it was really... There's like an extra layer there with the fact that it was, I know I've mentioned it already, but the fact that it was Princess Carolyn, who's the one who is the vehicle for this like yeah. important conversation. I just felt like that was very well done. And I felt like she fit the bill perfectly for that one. Right then, next up, what have we got here in this lovely list that you've sent me across? Mm-hmm. Um, we have uh, Nerd13, at Nerd13 on Twitter, at underscore Nerd13 underscore. Hey, oh, look at me plugging people's <laughs> as well God, we, sometimes sometimes we're good aren't we <laughs> so this one is uh, less of a question but feels like it's a relevant thing to talk to you about and I'm sure you can elaborate on this further more so perhaps than you already have uh, but Nerd13 says I am in full favour that Todd is God if you remember early in season 1 Todd, Bojack and Sarah Lynn went on one of many drug fuelled benders here Bojack hallucinates Todd as this old, wise, godlike figure meditating in the air. So, QED, Todd is God. <laughs> All hail Todd. I mean, what you... yeah, this just, to, to sort of build on what I'm trying to do, it'll make you want to search for stuff. It's made me want to look back yeah. and see all these things. Um, I'm not a religious person, but I've recently been investigating the Bible to see if at any point there's a bit of a twist in God's attitude, and he becomes good, Chavez. And he, uh, <laughs> I, I'm still looking for it. I haven't found it yet. You can't do a find and replace G-O-A-D to try and find the guy himself, putting on a pair of sunglasses, maybe. But, uh, yeah, it's it just feels like this tweet is a great example of this. Um, hook yourself into a theory and enjoy trying to just, like, explore it and build upon it and get your dissertations prepared on it because there's so much meat on this bone. Um, when we get RBW on in the finale it's going to be one of the big leading questions we go with the messiah (laughs) (laughs) great stuff man yeah like thank you for that because genuinely ever since that revelation of yours I think we've both (laughs) kind of had one eye on what does that mean what does this mean maybe this could mean more we've read into so many things more I think than we probably ever should have and yet maybe we haven't done it enough is what I would say to you on that one it's certainly it's a nice one when I um 
egotistically listen back to all these old podcasts <laughs> in many years to come. I mean, they'll be listening for all the times we missed mentioning that he was God in those first three seasons. It's going to be fun. Um, this one is to you, Nicholas. From uh, it's from Coleman at Aaron Coleman ninety five. Thank you, uh, Aaron. You've a regular contributor to these recap shows and indeed just podcast horsemen in general on Twitter. Um, and you little cheeky, you sent him four tweets. We're going to combine this as one because we're grateful for all the feedback. Um, <laughs> he starts with another season roundup. What are you doing here? Uh, same as always, guys. First off, favorite gag of the season. Um, he's got one visual and one outstanding 10 out of 10 gag that we missed from the review. Uh, the visual gag is from episode one, um, the cow waitress with all the jewels after Todd tipped her. Um, it's 10 out of 10 gag from episode 10 is when playing Uno at the start, Beatrice says to Bojack not to use foreign languages to influence Hollyhock. Uh, when putting down a second to last card, instead of saying Uno like you should, Beatrice says one. Of course, not even wanting to use a foreign language in the context of the game. Uh, Coleman notes here, Aaron Coleman notes that he only spotted it the fourth time of watching. Um, second, he adds, I know Powerhouse gets used from time to time in the podcast, but this season was a serious powerhouse of a season. Best season so far in my eyes. I put at least two episodes from the season in the top five of the show ever. But to find out are those, I guess you'll have to wait. I think we're going to get Aaron Coleman's list at the end of the season. Mm. And lastly, he says, and this is quite nice. Um, lastly, I just want to say how much I've both loved and missed the pod over the last few months. It's okay. We'll just blame Hamlet for capturing the old global bastard, the stupid piece of shit. As always, <laughs> look forward to the coming season of the brilliantly sad horse show. Hooray, question mark. Yeah, Aaron, uh, thanks very much for your thoughts and prayers there. Um, <laughs> we've got, there was, thank you for all that feedback, Aaron, genuinely. Um, one question buried within that, um, which was, of course, uh, favourite gag of the season. Um, I never feel as equipped to answer this question as you do, as the documentarian of every single awesome joke they nail in the show. What's it going to be? Well, you're absolutely right. You aren't anywhere near equipped to answer that question. <laughs> you could not be more on the money there. So well done, you. Um, <laughs> I'll have a little look. So I guess we'll, we'll have to go from, surely have to go from the list that we pulled mm. from season four, I think it's fair to say. Favourite gag? I'll be honest, man. Out of all, all the ones on this list, the one that gets me the most is... The point is, I banged a lot of women. One night stands, two night stands, <laughs> lunas, spooners, hot air balloonas. <laughs> it does just no reason. And I can just see them having so much fun while they wrote this gag as well. Just how stupid it is. I would give an honourable honourable shout out as well to the Foster the People gag as well. I thought that was a great little um, little gag with Todd and the, the the board. A very close second, but just based on pure pops alone, I've gone for the other. That is an absolute. Like, I, that one I forgot about that until you were doing that in the recap for this episode, and I just forgot how much I appreciated that at the time. Um, mine isn't a joke so much as it is just one of those seemingly impossible things that Bojack Horseman does every now and then, which was <laughs> like Felicity Huffman's Booty Academy. Yeah. <laughs> is one of those great ludicrous television industry reveals. Um yeah. Hollywood stars and celebrities, what do they know? Do they know things? Let's find out. It's a show that should not exist and yet does in this universe. And the same can be said here. Not least when Bojack thinks he's pulling up for a gritty crime drama that he's going to be a judge for. The fact they even play with that these shows have judges and he's still wearing the um 
the gown and the wig yeah. and everything. Yeah. Like right up to the moment that like he's placed in his seat, he thinks he's a legitimate judge in a crime drama. Yeah. Be given the booty academy and constantly questioning. Well, the show's got to be about arses, hasn't it? And everyone like attacks him for it. How dare you? How dare you question the integrity of Felicity Huffman's booty? It's so big, it's so broad, and it, it tends to be with these ones. The bigger and broader and after they get, the funnier it gets, and they nail it there, I think. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. That is, like, it's just the way that he ends up in that scenario, because for, like, in a rare occasion, a male in Hollywood blagging it doesn't <laughs> quite work out for him, because <laughs> he thinks he's going to be on some, like, law and order SV, SUV, SVU or whatever thing, yeah. and he ends up being on... Law and Order SUV sounds like it'll be something, and something just in a car. That. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just love though the fact that on FHBA, Michael, is the, the, the continuing thing you mentioned it there of how like nobody wants to admit that it's about the booty. It's actually mm. about the booties, very specifically <laughs> about the booties. Like they've had to settle for this because there's no Felicity Huffman has had to settle for this to get her own show, which probably yeah. started off as something completely different, and this is where we've ended up. <laughs> But the, the sheer insistence by Sir Mix-a-Lot, that the reason is because I'm an honest and impartial judge, and if there's one thing I'm famous for, it's that I cannot lie. <laughs> and then that follows, though, the brilliant fact that they've gone, they're all about to go and do the Badonka-Donka-Dobstacle course. Like, <laughs> Badonka-Donka-Dobstacle course, Michael. But it's not about booties. I mean, that's just stupid. That is ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. But very funny, nonetheless. Um, we do have another, though, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. somewhere in this batch. Uh, let's have a look. Who's next? I believe it's Christopher Mora. Uh, mm. Thank you for your question. At Mad with two Ds, Mora X on Twitter. Who says, uh, less of a, well, less of a, no, no, it is a question. With another season in the books, I continue to rank every episode, so that made me wonder something. Have you guys considered recording any special episodes after the highly anticipated, yet bittersweet, season six recap? For example, RBW interview, a series retrospective, or rankings episode. So basically, Michael, do you want to do more work when this is all finished? When this work's all set to <laughs> would you like... Uh more work on, on Podcast Horseman? The answer is, of course, yes. But the, the question is, what, my friend? Well, yes is the short answer, isn't it? It's a labour of love, this podcast, absolutely. And it's certainly more love than labour. And we have discussed between us what we might do to sort of cap off Podcast Horseman because all good things like the show itself, unfortunately, do have to come to an end. Um, and let's just there's a couple of things in the planning stages. If we said too much, we would potentially be guilty of over-promising and then under-delivering. If we said too little, we'd be lying to people that we haven't had a bit of a chat. So yes is the answer I'm going to vaguely give to that tweet. Yes, there are possible things that we're going to consider, but more of that in about a season and a half's time, I guess. That's probably so the pragmatic way to put it. What you're tentatively saying here is that we have a plan, but much like Bojack Horseman, there is no guarantee that we will see this plan <laughs> through. I like is that. what I'm hearing. We've all watched the episode, stupid piece of shit. Just imagine that's what's happening as we try to come up with things to put after the show has finished. However, if that doesn't work, Michael, fingers crossed, we'll have a BC and D plot that we can just slide in somewhere and maybe, <laughs> just maybe, we'll come up with something. Speaking of B, C and D... Um... 
thank you, Christopher Mora, as usual, for ranking the episodes by letter grades, uh, which I know you've done, and are eventually going to collaborate them all into one enormous list when the show's finished. I cannot wait to see that, genuinely. Um, yeah. But, and I say this with all respect, because I appreciate your feedback. I know you often interact with our wrestling podcasts as well. Chris, mate, give your goddamn head a shake, because um, to put a stupid piece of shit at number five... Wow. Um, a grade of an A minus, I believe. No, a B plus, a goddamn stinking B plus. Um, underneath the likes of episode five, Underground, and episode four, Thoughts of Prayer. No, I'm not here to drag the other episodes. It's not about that, is it? Uh, I'm just here to give credit where credit's due. And uh, you haven't given enough to stupid piece of shit. So, there you go, Chris. I'm shooting hard, shooting hard. Now, in all seriousness, it's a subjective game, this. Um, what, oh, what the hell was that about? What the hell was that about? To quote my good friend Todd, damn! <laughs> yes, but genuinely, I cannot wait to see the giant list. I'm excited to see that whole thing. Every single episode ranked when all this is said and done. Yes, let me just say, uh, Christopher, that you are very much allowed to choose where these episodes <laughs> are. Don't listen to old man Hamlet. However, <laughs> however, he's not wrong. I mean, stupid piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> is an absolute masterpiece. But hey, sometimes these things are a bit too real for people. I get it. If that was a factor, that's fair enough. Or maybe just didn't like it, in which case, well, we'll have to talk about that later, I guess. Uh, I will send the heavies round later on. Social distance, of course, but uh, still. <laughs> <laughs> no, but genuinely, though, I will say I love these rankings, and I am very, very intrigued to see how they all end up at the end of this show and, of course, at the end of watching BoJack. Horseman. Oh, is that it? Have we got one more it question? Yes, we have one more from um, another regular contributor, James Wright, at Jim underscore Blade, um, which I believe was James Wright's uh, independent wrestling name once upon a time. I believe he was Jimmy Blade and a tremendous talent he was in the Northeast. Um, James Wright, a regular contributor. Thanks for all your support of the podcast. We do really appreciate it. And he's just dropped in. Um, say so again, something quite close to my heart. I love the dad language, of course, the code between the uh, Hollyhocks eight dads that they all speak. Um, and he's pointed out brilliantly here. It's such a man thing to understand, uh, to assume that they couldn't be understood, despite how obviously simple it is to Hollyhock um, that she wouldn't know. She's had it figured out for years. Um, and he says at the end of his tweet, it's a tenuous joke bit, mainly I'm angling to get a name drop on the podcast. You got one, James. That was really <laughs> well, well done. done. Drive me out to the end. But yeah, um, we did kind of touch upon that last week. The idea that they think that they're somehow in front of their daughter who's had them for years. It's just, a, it's a nice, cute, um, it's one of the nicer actual references to the gender divide on Bojack Horseman. Yeah. Normally the idiot men, it, it's from a cynical place. This is quite a sweet one. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I should point out as well, uh, James Wright. Michael Hamlet is not blowing smoke there. I genuinely recall the first time we saw one of your retweets for this uh, podcast, and we do appreciate everybody who retweets, but Michael's first thing we messaged me was that I'm sure I remember this guy from when you used to go and watch wrestling mm -hmm. in the Northeast. Yeah. And I will say this open, open, open book I am when it comes to these sort of things. I wasn't there but Michael Hamlet most definitely was. And if there's anything to know about the Northeast independent wrestling scene, that man knew it and knows it. So there you go. Not just blowing smoke. He was probably there. God knows what he was wearing or doing, but he was, he was there. 
I'll probably look achingly familiar. We've got a little bit of live breaking news. I feel like Tom Gumbo Jumbo himself here. We've got one last comment that's got in just in time. Um, so thank you to this uh, this final comment. I'll throw this one at you if you like, because it's very much God in your wheelhouse. Damn it, Randy. Randy, what have you done? <laughs> this is one that's in your wheelhouse. And if I'm honest, I'm trying to recall if we drop this in one of the episodes, because um, I'd like to thank Audrey Arnett, um, at Arnett underscore Audrey on Twitter for this one, for dropping this... Um, little visual gag, I guess. Um, but I, I, I'm trying to remember if this is one we picked up or not. Um, so from Audrey, hello guys, love the podcast. Thank you very much, Audrey. Um, wanted to point out that the fur on Katrina's jacket resembles Dalmatian print. Mm. Additionally, her hair is silver. She's very cruel after a relationship with a dog. Uh, could this be an Otacarella Deville? If so, I think Todd said it best. Damn! Um, and there's a picture attached, of course, with the, uh, the Dalmatian fur line jacket that she's got. Yeah, huge Cruella Deville vibes coming off of Katrina, and I am trying to wrap my brain to if we've if we didn't pick it up in four, was it something you caught in three? It I read that as like oh yeah, but then a little bit in the back of my mind was eating away that maybe we'd spotted that one in the past. I will say this: uh, don't quote me, but you're going to have to now. <laughs> uh, I think we did. I think we have picked up on this because I think I'm almost sure maybe me and you will be that. If it's not on yet, we've definitely, you and I have definitely had this conversation because I distinctly recall me saying to you, how have you not picked up on that at this point, that she's mm. basically Cruella de Vil? Specifically, the look is too obvious uh, for it. And the fact that she hates dogs as well was the other, in particular, <laughs> Mr. Peanut Butter was the big tell. But nevertheless, I do think Audrey is spot on in putting all the pieces together to bring it to everybody else's attention who might not have clocked it. I am sure we've mentioned it, but in case we haven't, in case we are just idiots, hey, it's almost like they knew what they were doing the whole <laughs> time or something. Good spot, though, <laughs> nevertheless. However, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Michael, but that is everything. All the questions now? That is everything. That is season okay. four. A wrap on season four. How about that? Put it in a haiku for me and send it across later on. <laughs> anyway, now that we've done all that, we do still have time for some quick plugs, as always, because just because this is a season review or recap doesn't mean you can't still plug the podcast. <laughs> it's crazy talk. Of course we will. Uh, if you like this podcast, or if you didn't like it, uh, please do follow us <laughs> <laughs> on Twitter or Instagram at Podcast Horseman. That would be lovely. Um, and on top of that, you can also follow either of your hosts. If you hadn't had enough of me, you can find me on Twitter at It's Adam Nicholas, or you can find Michael Hamflit at Michael Hamflit. Um, you can listen to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, where we invite you to subscribe. You can get it on Spotify, where we'd love you to follow. You can get it on Amazon Music while you're ordering your food, or Christ knows what you're getting. We've been in lockdown about a year at this point. I'm surprised it's not your homepage on your Google Chrome. Um, pretty much anywhere you get your podcast, you can get Podcast Horseman, including on our Twitter page, at Podcast Horseman. You'll see the uh, live streaming link through Acast that goes up every Friday. You can also subscribe or download through there if you wish. It really is everywhere. And for where it's not everywhere, we would love you to rate us five stars you know the drill by now every podcast begs for it and we are no different we love those five stars we love those reviews wherever it is you're able to put over podcast horsemen it helps us and it helps more people find us and talk yourself horse about talking horse which is exactly what i've done through this one so i promise i'm about to get done but i will before we go just mention what we're going to do for the stars on the hollywood talk of fame in season five normally at this point in the podcast, we'd uh, we'd read out one of those reviews and we'd do a little induction. We're going to change it up a bit for season five. We like to mix up a little bit. Um, in season three, we did retweets. And in season four, we're back to reviews. In season five, we are moving to quote tweets. 
So starting from this very episode, if you want to be so kind as to quote, tweet this episode, share it out there with your follower base, maybe get more people to download it for the first time, we would love that. And then on the following week's episode, we will pick one of those quote tweets at random to give you your very own brand new glistening quote tweet star in our Hollywood talk of fame. That'll be dished out across the socials as Adam Nicholas realises that he's had another job sprung upon him, but he'll make them look lush because they always do look fantastic. The man is an artist, an artist who is stabbing himself in the eye with his own paintbrush, but an artist nonetheless. Um, so yes, for this episode and onwards for the rest of season five, if you want to quote tweet that tweet that goes out every Friday morning from the official account, you stand a chance of getting your very own special star. All of that starting next week when we kick off season five. When we kick off season five, indeed. Same shit, bigger fan, Michael. That's the way we roll. <laughs> and in that vein, we, of course, go to Netflix. Finally, to get this wrapped and done, we go to Netflix for our synopsis for season five, episode one, which will be the light bulb scene, it's called. Bojack has misgivings about his new show. Princess Carolyn visits an adoption agency. Todd interviews for a job. At what time is it right now? Dot com. Some very intriguing threads there. I think we can both agree. Mm. Um, and if you want to find out what happened, though, <laughs> hell, you know what you got to do. You just just stay on here for another two hours, and we'll tell you all about it. <laughs> uh, so here we go straight. No, I'm only kidding. Of course, you will have to come back. The look on Michael Hamlet's face there. You will have to come back next week for more of this. As if you haven't had enough already. As always, I have been Adam Nicholas. I've been Michael Hamlet. And this has been Podcast Horseman. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.